Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. We've got a great show in store for you. Um, before we start the show though, I want to do a couple of little things. First of all, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, the original C-SPAN. Um, he went onto iTunes and left us a review. And he says, for the past several months, I've been looking around trying to figure out how I can own apartment complexes, office buildings, and shopping malls. I've uh, A friend randomly sent a text introducing me to this podcast. Dear God, it's everything I needed to hear. Thank you very much for this podcast, sir. Pound sunsets and pound palm trees. Wonderful, wonderful news, man. I, I love it when you guys uh, take the time to get onto iTunes and leave these types of reviews. It's great. And any reviews, fine. It doesn't have to be five-star. Just leave your comments uh, about how you feel about the show. Um, with that said, um, we are now uh, opening up our boardroom. So if you're thinking about you want to take it to the next level and start doing apartment complexes, learning how to find them, how to fund them, how to operate, how to uh, know if you have a deal or not, how to raise all the capital. We have, I've created something entirely awesome that I, I promise you is not being done in the info space anywhere. And what we offer is such huge value. So I only limit it to 35 people. 35 people I invite to my Kahuna boardroom. Um, we offer deal partnering. We will uh, sponsor your deals. We'll underwrite your properties to make sure you have a good one. Uh, my whole team's involved. It's 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 a big process. Um, and we don't open it up to everybody, and it is expensive. Okay, it's $7,500. Um, we need to, you have to submit an application. And now, but we'll, here's what we're looking for. We're looking for people that want to do this business. So it helps if you have some real estate experience, um, but you don't have to have real estate experience. You could have influence. You could be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, chiropractor. Um, you could be a person that just really wants it really bad and wants to succeed. And maybe that is your starting point is, um, is multifamily. And that's fine too. Um, but we're trying to gauge your commitment level right? And because I only allow 35 people in my boardroom and I want to make sure that I'm not wasting your time or mine. And so it is 7,500 bucks. We have a payment plan uh, for uh, like a three payment, three pay uh, payment plan um, for anybody that's a little bit price sensitive to that, right? We, we're trying to be mindful, but what you're getting is the type of, I wouldn't call it coaching, um, but it's, it's kind of a hybrid. It, it, we have coaching calls, um, we probably do one a month, one every other month. Um, they're not guaranteed, but they are part of our continued education to our boardroom members. Um, but we do offer something very, very, very unique. So if, if that's you, if you're interested, go to kahunaboardroom.com. Again, that's kahuna, K-A-H-U-N-A, boardroom.com and apply so you can you can get on that site you can see all the things that we're offering and then you have to apply when you apply i am going to call you nobody else on my team is going to call you it will come from me Corey peterson i personally vet everybody that comes into my boardroom i have a conversation with you we want to make sure that it's the right fit and it's application only this boardroom is going to be july 29, 30, and 31, right? So we have another one coming up in October. So if you can't make the July event but want to make it in to the uh, October event, let us know. 
Um, but take the time, seriously take the time and um, apply. If, if that's you, if you're, if you're really wanting to move the needle, I promise you, I, I have an education program platform that does not exist out there in the marketplace. When you come to my event, by the way, there's nothing for sale. You cannot buy any other product from me because I don't have it. I don't, it's not the place where you come and then we upsell you to the $20,000 coaching platform. I don't have it. Um, I am a deal maker, okay? And I, I know I spent a little bit of time on this because I, I want you to understand that this is unique and special. It is different, I promise you. And if you will listen to some of the testimonials on that page, kahunaboardroom.com, listen to some of the testimonials, and you tell me if you think it's right, because I'm telling you, anybody that's attended, it's changed them in a positive, positive way, and people are doing deals. That, my friend, is the proof in the pudding. So go to the Kahuna Boardroom and check it out, all right? Let's start the show. So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. I've got a great show for you today. Uh, we are talking with the man, the myth, the legend, right? Uh, Fernando, and I'm going to say it wrong, but I must do my best, Angelucci. There you go. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is the self-storage king, in my opinion. Um, he is out there doing some really cool, neat stuff. Uh, that's making him a crap ton of money, and he is jaded because he no longer likes to do the small single-family stuff that we talk about because uh, we all know that single-family stuff is for losers. No. Right? <laughs> when you want to play a real game and a big game, you want to start making big-boy money, you step up to uh, commercial, which is you know it could be self-storage, it could be apartments, it could be commercial buildings. But either or, um, it's the way to make real money in this uh, in this business. And so, with that said, Fernando, let me introduce you to the show, and, and why don't you introduce yourself and kind of give your expanded version of who the hell you are? Okay, yeah. So, um, started off pretty young in the real estate world. I started reading Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 16 years old. From there, I went to University of Illinois to get an ag bioengineering degree. I told my dad that I wanted to become a business owner, but he convinced me to get at least something that I could fall onto as a backup in case it didn't work. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, so the, my first company I started when I was 19 years old, it was an exterior painting company. So on the weekends, um, I would take a bus back from University of Illinois up to Chicago and then just start knocking on doors and trying to sell them exterior paint jobs for the summer. So that was my first foray into being a business owner and having to hire my friends as employees and learning just all the 
So you're a painter. So long. Yeah. <laughs> so that means you handled a lot of cock, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to make sure you have the right cock for the right crack, dude. <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, it's a business, and I learned a lot of lessons. And then once I graduated, uh, I moved out to Iowa with a Fortune 50 company as a salesperson. And oh, then nice. He- immediately on the side, I started doing uh, wholesaling, single family, multifamily houses. Quickly, I realized that the guys that I was selling, my, my cash buyers that I was selling these properties to, they're making a, a lot of money yeah. you know, compared to how much I was making as a wholesaler. And so I decided to start getting involved. That's when I, I kind of did things backwards from most people. I immediately jumped into multifamily properties, bought my first five unit uh, when I was, I believe, 23 years old. Did really well on that cash flow, I think double digit cap rates. Uh, and then we sold it. I bought that with uh, uh, my investor's money. So I had no money in the in the game, but I got 50% of the cash flow. And then I gave him uh, all the appreciation on the property once I sold it for a profit. From there, I went into single family flipping uh, and then learned the uh, another JV agreement. It was a very good friend of mine, one of my cash buyers. They said, hey, instead of making this 5K assignment fee, why don't you just uh, partner with me on this deal and we'll split the profits 50-50. And I was kind of taken aback because... It was a great deal for me. It wasn't a good deal for him because I wasn't putting any capital. I had no experience on how to flip deals. But we went to the hard money lender together. We got a really expensive loan. It was I think it was 15% and five points. And he, he financed almost everything. That was the first deal that I learned how to deal with contractors. We had uh, very, we, we still made money on the deal, not as much as we thought we were going to make. Yeah, our- it's never as much as we always thought, right? <laughs> well, what happened was one of our contractors... We get a, a call on Monday morning or on Sunday night. Turns out that around the area we were flipping, four different rehab projects were burgled and they stole oh, the yeah. and stuff. Turns out it was our contractor that that stole from all four of those job sites. And then he didn't show up to our job site on Monday. And that's how we found out. We get, got the cops and we went to his house and there was all the stuff uh, in his wow. house. It was crazy. So, it, you know, <laughs> and then I had inspection issues. So I learned a lot about the flipping process on my very first deal. From there, I started opening up multiple markets. Hey, we call that experience, by the way, right? Yeah. <laughs> no book will ever prepare you for that, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, we started, uh, I opened up a couple different markets for the wholesaling business because the uh, Iowa market was doing all right. right. Uh, Indianapolis did Fort Lauderdale, Dallas-Fort Worth, and then Chicago. We quickly saw that Chicago was the one that was really taking off. So I ended up partnering with uh, one of my best friends up there while I was still living in Iowa, teaching him how to wholesale. Um, and then eventually we just decided to focus. You got a lot of friends, by the way, right? So now. Yeah. <laughs> got a lot of friends. <laughs> they, do it, they do it differently differently in Iowa. I don't know. But um, but it sounds like you've uh, kept in touch with everybody too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Are the, these a lot of your college friends? Uh, so, yeah, Steven's my, my friend. Yeah, Steven's my friend from college. Um, Guy Varble, which is the one that flipped the first property with me, my cash buyer, he's actually now one of my investors in uh, our self-storage deals. Um, so, I, you know, I try to – anybody that has – So there's a big hint for everybody. If you're going to go to college, pay attention and hang out with everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. eventually they'll, 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 some of them are going to be very successful in their endeavors, and you want them to be part of your network. Am I right? Yeah, and I have a – you know, a lot of These people – know you. Yeah, I have a, a lot of, uh, like, let's say guys in a mentorship role, 
unofficially, you know, we just drink beers together. And, you know, in the past, they've always asked me, you know, I'm thinking about going back to college or if they're a younger guy that somebody referred to me, Hey, I'm thinking about co- going to college or not going to college. You're a business owner. What do you think? And I always tell them go to college because the degree is good to have, but the real importance is the network you build. I mean, I Ooh. still keep in touch with all of the people that I, that I worked with and I partied with. And then a lot of them, you would have went to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> So a lot of the guys that I went to school with are now making really big money. They're doctors, they're attorneys, lawyers. Yeah. And guess what? They want to invest in my deals, right? So yes, there's a- they, they still need a place to put their money, man. Yeah. And who better to t- trust than someone that's doing and making money for other people, right? I mean, you've had already, in, in so far in your story, I mean, you've not even got into self-storage yet, but your common theme, I've, I've been writing this down as you go, is that you've partnered with people all along the way. Yeah, everything we do is partnership. I don't think we've I've ever done one deal on my own. Every deal I've ever done since I started real estate has been through partnerships. What's your experience in that? Because I, I believe in partnerships as well. Because here's my thought, a train thought of it is like, man, um, you know, if you go out there and do it alone or you're the, you know, you're the pioneer, you get lots of arrows in your back. Yeah. Right? But if you partner with someone... Um, it's a hell of a lot easier. Sometimes they have they bring systems and processes that you may need. Now, sometimes it's not not always that way, but like right. a lot of times it's it's actually better. So what That's, I found, I, I learned on you know learned very early on that I'm a more analytical type. Um, I'm aggress- aggressive sales guy, networking guy, but I'm not good at like the creative side of things, marketing, advertising. I'm not good at the administrative side of things either. The the minutia. So when I partner, I always look for people that have strengths that are my weaknesses. I'd rather focus on making my strengths even better than trying to bring my weaknesses up to mediocre. Just a waste of my time. Amen. Everything we've done is is through partnerships. And I found it's, it's great because you can spread the risk of, amongst multiple parties. And when you bring fresh, I always say that, you know, the parts are, the sum is greater than the parts, you know? So you, synergies that can can present themselves when you're working with people that you know necessarily aren't your type of people or maybe they're not the same type of personality type as you i'm, I'm a big fan of the personality assessments like the disc profile and My- myers briggs um these are really great to see who would be a good potential fit and it doesn't always have to be a long-term partnership like owning a company together you can just do a jv partnership on one deal and we do that all the time 30 percent mm. of our of our wholesaling revenue comes from other wholesalers that just want to leverage our cash buyer list. You know, we're one of the largest ones in Chicago. I think we have around 6,100 cash buyers on our list. And so all these new wholesalers, when they, when they, you know, I I love to share my knowledge with people because it always comes back tenfold. So, and I tell this to people all the time and wholesalers will always reach out to me, not only in this market, but in other markets as well and say, Hey, can you help you walk me through a deal? And I'll give them everything. I'll give them my contracts, my assignment of contracts. I'll give them my marketing processes. And guess what? One day they're going to get a deal they can't take down themselves. They're going to remember Fernando. They're going to call me and say, how would you like to partner 50-50 on this deal? I'll say, yeah. And then, uh, there's a deal I didn't have to All spend. day long, right? All day long. All day. And, so, and, and here's the other part of that, too, is that I believe in this wholeheartedly, and you said it, is that you can do it on a deal-by-deal basis. Uh, when we say partnerships a lot of times in this business, some people take it as, we're going to get married forever and ever, amen. And I've always believed that you make it about a deal and not about anything else. Like, we can be a partner on a deal. And then the next deal, maybe you do your own thing and maybe I do my own thing. But yeah, it's a hell of a lot cleaner to make it about a deal. And it sounds like that's what you're doing as well. 
yeah, everything we do. I, it's the way I think it's the best way. And then especially now, um, you know, my previous partners, they call me all the time to see what I'm up to. If I have any deals, if I have any deals that, that need capital or if I have any capital for some of the deals they have. And it just, you know, it leaves a nice relationship open going forward. So you've got into wholesaling and now talk about <coughs> the transition into what you're doing most of the time now. Yeah. So the wholesaling business now, it kind of runs on automatic. We've put a lot of processes and, and procedures in place. We, I read the book Traction like four or five times and really implemented it to the T. And yeah. it's starting to pay off. I think we're on our 118th week of implementing Traction. At least that's what our scorecard says. So yeah, from there, you know, on the side of wholesaling, we had all these deals coming in that looked like really good cream puffs. So we decided to take them down ourselves. The single family flips, the single family rentals, the multifamily rentals. And then I started to kind of see a little bit of, there was two sides. Number one, there was a conflict of interest between me and my cash buyers, because if they knew that I'm just taking all the best deals, why would they come to my list? Right. And then the second thing is on the residential rental side, um, I was just starting to get fed up with the, the laws. So Illinois is one of the worst uh, investor states as far as being a landlord. They're really aggressive against uh, investors and really friendly towards tenants. Um, and then Cook County, Chicago specifically, is even worse than the state as a whole. Um, so I had a lot of issues when I would be buying properties. And to get them at a good deal, I would have to inherit you know, shitty tenants that came along with them. So the straw that broke the camel's back on that side was I went through a 13-month eviction. I did everything by the book. Dude. The tenant I had, she was just a professional tenant. I, I was convinced that she hasn't paid rent in her entire life. She knew all the little tricks, unscrewing the, you know, the CO detectors and, and removing the hardwired fire alarms. Uh, she would mess up the property. She would take things off of the address so that servers couldn't properly serve her. Um, she involved all these tenant advocacy rights groups, even though she was clearly breaking the law. So, you know, I, we, we never do anything that is not above board. So, we, I, you know, no self-help eviction. So what we did is we just followed what the city said was the rules to follow. And it still took 13 months. So she didn't pay six months of rent when we bought the property. So she was already walking into a six month deferred account. And then another 13 months, she lived there for free while we were doing everything illegally. It was ridiculous. And I was like, I'm Damn, never. It's almost two years. Yeah. So I'm, I'm never doing this again. Second thing was on the flip side, I was just getting so fed up with contractors. You know, the really, really good contractors, they usually end up working for the large projects, the skyscraper development. So you can never really get the super high quality guys because if they're really high quality, they, they go to where they can get paid, you know, a hundred bucks an hour. Most money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the constant rotation of contractors in and out, them screwing us over, trying to think that they're clever and, you know, us losing money and time, which is the, the most important thing for us. And so I, that side, I was like, man, I'm getting so fed up with this, with this as well. What else is there? And then this is when I went to the REI Expo down in Indianapolis and I heard Scott Myers talking about self-storage. I peeked my head into his breakout room. Yeah. Bob, my ear was him. I think he said the word triple digit cash on cash returns. And I was like, what? So I sat down and I, I fell in love with it immediately. I said, Scott, like whatever program you have or mastermind, whatever it is, I'm, I'm there. Just tell me how much I'll write the check right now. So we learned from him and all I found that all of my issues were being solved by investing in self-storage. No tenants, no toilets, no trash. Uh, management's very low. Instead of 
functioning under eviction or tenant law. It's under property or lien law. So, for example, even though I have a property in Illinois, a self-storage property, if someone doesn't pay their rent on the third day, I put a second lock over their unit so they can't even get into their possessions without paying me. If they still don't pay, I put a notice in the legal newspaper and then another one a week later. And by the 20th to the 28th day, um, I already call an auctioneer. He, sh- he shows up with his own buyers. And then it's basically an episode of Storage Wars. On top of that, I'm actually not even losing rent because the fees that the tenants have agreed to in the lease are so exorbitant for late fee, the, you know, the auction fee. I actually make a profit from evicting that tenant. And then I have a wait list. Someone, I just go in there with a broom, sweep it out. And then I have the next tenant in the same day as the auction. It's crazy. It's amazing. So I didn't have to, and then I don't have to deal with contractors really anymore. You know? Beautiful, brother. And listen, everybody needs space to store their stuff because they build houses on top of each other now and and they don't provide storage. Yeah, and when we were digging, right. we were digging into the numbers. We were actually very surprised based off of the tenancy breakout. So we found that about seventy percent of our um, our tenants were residential tenants, and of those seventy percent, only twenty seven percent of them lived in apartment buildings. Sixty seven percent lived in a single family home. Of that sixty seven percent, sixty five percent had a garage. Forty seven percent had an attic. And 33 had a basement, and they were still using the storage. I we're all hoarders, it. damn it. <laughs> right. And what I found is it's a very recession-tolerant asset because when people are downsizing because the economy is not great or for life choices, what, what have you, they usually don't want to get rid of those sentimental items, you know, all the paintings their kid made for them when they were, you know, three years old, you, even though now the kid's I'm going to give you an example of something. I'm going to use my dad as a reference here, right? My dad is... I just I retired my dad and I moved him into a house. He's been living in this house here in Arizona for the last two years. Okay, he still has his uh, another house uh, in uh, Missouri, and he's had his storage unit there, which has a bunch of stuff that I know he'll never need. But he refuses to give it up because his stuff's in there, man. Yeah. <laughs> and he may and he's probably only been to that thing. Three times in the last 15 years. Yeah. But damn it, his stuff is in there. (laughs) And you just hit on a a really perfect trend um, example. So, you know, they always say if you want to make money, big money, you follow what the baby boomers are doing. Well, all the boomers now are downsizing. What are they doing? They're storing their stuff. They're either going to a smaller house or they're going into a retirement community and they're storing that stuff. On the flip side, you got the, the second largest population, or I guess now the largest generation population are the millennials the millennials are delaying home ownership like for example i'm a millennial i don't own my own home i rent because i like to move around i don't need a lot of space because i want to live where in the middle of everything i want to be downtown and be by all the restaurants and all the bars and all the cool stuff and then if i need to store some stuff instead of me paying an extra 800 dollars a month for a larger apartment i'll just pay an extra 45 bucks for a five by five or a ten by five storage unit makes a lot more sense financially for me. Oh, yeah. Right? You're there. You know? You're done. Yeah. So one of the things I want to highlight about self-storage is how recession tolerant it is. So during the 2007 to 2009 recession, let's call it, um, there was a 22% drop in the S&P 500. 
mortgage-backed securities dropped by 19.5%. Multifamily did a lot better. It only dropped by 6.7%, but self-storage only dropped by 3.8%. And this is a survey that was done by the National Association of REITs. So the data is very good. On the flip side, when the economy is doing well, self-storage outperforms every other asset class by a large margin. So between 1994 and 2017, the S&P 500 returned about 7.5% on an annual average annual basis. Right. Uh, mortgages returned about 11%. Multifamily returned 13.3%, but self-storage returned 17.43% average annual return. So let me just put that into dollar figures for you. If you put $100,000 into a storage property in 1994, your return on that by uh, 2017 would have been just over $4 million without having to reinvest anything. Beautiful, brother. Yeah. So awesome statistic. I love it. Usually people assume that if something is going to have very low risk, it's also going to have a, a very capped or low return. And that's the opposite for self-storage. Right. But banks find these deals. Yeah, so the same way that I find my wholesale deals is how I find my self-storage deals. I, I buy a, a list of mom-and-pop owners. Because these are usually mom-and-pop owners, aren't they? Yeah, and I'm, I'm sending them a letter saying, hey, my name's Fernando. I'm a local guy looking to buy your facility if you're looking to sell. And one of the nice things about the self-storage industry is that it is extremely fragmented. Um, so this is what I mean by that. The top six buyers of self-storage, the large publicly traded REITs, they own 18% of the total facilities in the United States. The next 100 largest operators own 8% of the facilities in the United States. That means that there's 74% of the facilities are owned by mom and pop operators. Usually, these people own it as a secondary source of income, not as a primary business. Usually, it's on, you know, behind their property or um, was built on land they had just sitting around. They were typically built in the mid to late 80s when there was a, a big boom in the self-storage building space. Here was really cheap. You know, all it really is is a concrete slab and corrugated steel walls and roof. It's not very difficult to construct. Nowadays, you're starting to see these really nice third-generation re-get-grade facilities that are being built. Right, where they're AC, they have uh, yeah, climate control, right. things like that, right? Yeah, exactly. So we do both. Um, we one thing that we do is we go after the existing first generation facilities, the ones that you typically see out there, you know, drive up access, no AC, and then do value adds on those because we found that these mom and pop operators don't have any processes in place. They don't have any management. They don't have any, they don't have any extra capital. They just, they, that's their money, right? Yeah, exactly. So what, for example, I'll go through the last deal that we purchased. It was a 133 unit facility in Yorkville, Illinois. It's a small facility, about a million bucks. The owner built it 30 years ago, never sold it. He didn't have an online presence. You couldn't even find him if you Googled him. His tenants, as soon as they rented a facility, that was their rate for life. He never did rental increases whatsoever. So wow. we found this facility at 100% occupancy with 40% below market rents. We quickly, as soon as we bought it, we just raised all the rents by 40%. We made a an online portal where people, people instead of paying now, with the only option was uh, checks in the past and cash now they can pay with ach debit credit automatic, yep. automatic now your money's anything. collections all of a sudden went to nothing yeah. right 
So we bought that property about six months, seven months ago now uh, at, at $970,000. And we're about to get it appraised this spring to do another build out on that land. And we'll, we'll come in at the $1.5, $1.6 million range. So half a million dollars in equity created in six months with very little management. It doesn't even have an office on site. It is truly like a backseat investment. Right. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. So the banks are, they love self-storage. They see how recession tolerant it is. They see how easy it pays back. The debt service coverage ratios are wonderful. And they're starting to show that. What's your typical debt service coverage ratios? They're looking, so they usually require a 1.2, but we're constantly hitting 2.0, 2.4. It's crazy. And how much leverage will they give you? So this is the awesome part. So on that, that Yorkville facility I'm talking about, to continue with the example, we got a lender to hold a portfolio loan, a 30-year fixed, fully amortized loan with 20% down. Yep. And then right before closing, they asked us, do you guys want the first year to be interest only? And we said, absolutely. Of course. And then that rate was at a 5.25% interest rate. And I think we paid like a point. Beautiful. Yes. Awesome deal. Awesome deal. No tenants, no toilets, just cash flow. Just cash flow, exactly. It's it's super easy to manage. It takes maybe. Do you have an asset manager hours. now that uh, that takes care of these properties, or do you do it? No. So right now we just do it ourselves. Usually, what we found is to get a third party manager to make sense financially, we need to have two hundred and fifty to about three hundred units per location. So this facility is one hundred thirty three units. We're going to build another hundred hundred or so units on that spot because the supply and demand there calls for it. And then it's going to get to the point where it'll make sense to bring in a third-party manager. But really, it doesn't need any management at all. Everything's done. The tenants have everything on their phone through our management software. They can sign leases on their phone. They can rent additional units. They can buy locks, insurance. Everything's on there. And we just leave the – if we have any vacant units, which we don't, we just leave a lock in the unit, unlocked, and we say, hey, just drive out there. After you pay, drive out. This is your unit. Open it up. Your lock's in there. And, you know, feel free. Don't call me again. You know? <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. Dude, I love, that's a, I mean, another example of making money, uh, living a cash flow life. Because here's the thing, that thing will never stop. No. Right? We have, we have tenants. cash. You're making money years. with your wholesale business. Right? Now, this is, I always tell a lot of people, like, man, don't quit your business. Like I, I talked to my audience is a lot of fix and flippers and wholesalers, yeah. right? Or even doctors and dentists and, and lawyers and things like that. They got jobs, okay? Or um, you don't have to quit your day job to do some of these things, right? right. You can step into the cash flow um, if you create your own team and process. But self storage lends itself very easily to that process. Yeah. Right? On that tiny facility I was telling you about, we cash flow about nine grand a month without doing maybe spending eight hours a month working on it. And for most people, that's their salary, man. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's good money. Hey, do that once a year for five years. You're set. I mean, then it's like cash me out. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I'm gonna tell my job to go kick it and uh I'm gonna go get sunsets and palm trees, right? Yeah. And just to put some, you know, some icing on the cake there, number one, you have very low break even occupancy because your total expenses are very low. So on many facilities, if it's if you're buying a cash on leverage, 
you can break even at about 30, 35% occupancy. Right. If you leverage it out, you're looking at mid 60% occupancy, which is still a much better than, you know, if you have a single family home, it's either rented or it's not, right? If you have a yeah. multi property, the larger it is, um, you still are looking to get, you probably usually have to be around the 80% occupancy range for it to be like a break even asset. Yeah, yep, yeah. stabilized, yep. Mm-hmm. You know? Another thing that I really like about it, it has a very high sticky factor. So what I mean by that is, let's take, for example, a, a multifamily unit that a tenant is looking to rent. Say you want to raise the rents, that tenant can very easily go to another building and rent somewhere else if you're asking for a $100 a month increase, right? Right. Say that's on a $2,000 a month rent, that's a 5% increase. With self-storage, say I have a $150 unit, so maybe call it a 10 by 10 right. or by 15. If I raise that rent $20 a month, it's usually not worth it for the tenant to go get a $500 bill for a moving truck and spend two days to go somewhere else just to save 20 bucks. But that 20%, that $20 increase on that 150 unit, that's a 13% increase to the bottom line. It's a huge increase. So they'll never, I mean, once they get their stuff there, it usually stays there until they get rid of their stuff. Yeah, they're like, hey, it's just inflation. Things are going on. And they think it's, in their mind, they think it's that 3% inflation tactic because we're, you know, I'm raising rents 15 or 20 bucks, right? And that's my 3% yeah. increase. Right. You're raising 15 or 20 bucks and it's, you're getting the world, Chico. and it's funny you know a lot of these units you another thing that's really nice about them is you can have kind of a reaction i'm I'm gonna have to start doing self-storage that's it i got a couple deals (laughs) i i love i love when i I, you know i love hearing about things like this because the your first gut reaction is like oh dude that's too good to be true right i know i know scott well and um you know and i know the system and i have got a lot of other friends that are in the self-storage business and they swear by it, right? It's it's amazing. It is amazing. The biggest thing I think that is kind of hurting is that people don't think self-storage is a sexy asset. But then once you look at your P&L sheets, you're like, okay, this is pretty yeah, damn sexy. Cash flow is sexy, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> my, my paychecks in my hip-hop national bank is sexy, right? Yeah. It's like keeping me working and walk so heavy. And right? the nice thing, too, is you, you can... <laughs> You could build in auxiliary profit centers. So not only are you getting rent, but you can sell locks, truck rentals, moving supplies, printing services. You can get the renter's insurance that you can sell. So every one of our facilities, renter's insurance is mandatory. If they don't show proof of renter's insurance, I buy it for them. And the company that I buy the renter's insurance from, they allow us to keep 90% of the premium as our commission. Huge additional profit center, vehicle parking, cell tower leasing, billboard advertisements. You can have all these auxiliary profit centers just to add to your rental bottom line. You can also, because of the way that uh, self-storage is very locally driven, you're usually only pulling from about a three-mile trade area where all, 90% of your customers are going to be coming from. You can have a reactive pricing model. So say you have 10 by 10 units that are all full and everyone else in the, in your, all your competitors in your market also have 10 by 10 units that are full. All of a sudden you get one 10 by 10 person move out. You have one unit available. Guess what? That 10 by 10 is no longer 150. Now it's 250. How bad do you really want it? Right. And people will rent if they need that size, they will rent it for that price. That's beautiful. It's, it's awesome. It's such a great, great model. Brother. I love to hear these success stories because man, 
Um, first of all, I want to commend you in like understanding that there's a better way, right? Um, the biggest lesson I've learned is, you know, we go back to Robert Kiyosaki. You talked about that book. Yeah. Robert never talked about flipping a property. Right. Right. He never talked about wholesaling. He talked about cash flow, right? right. And creating assets and not liabilities. Right. And a lot of us got, we turned on the TV and we saw flip this house. Right. <laughs> For the old school and, Carlton sheets, no yeah. money, no credit. And that's what we thought investing was but like we're still traders in that business with a yeah. with a, you know trading your time for money but it feels like with a t trader like you're a trader right yeah. but the truth is like once you get into the cash flow you become a real investor right that's what you're yeah. doing because real investors get cash flow they're in that i quadrant right. right they have money coming in for work that they don't really do and, the, and it comes in regardless of if uh, what what you do once you set it up, and that my friend is like that is the best feeling in the world, is it not? Yeah, I mean it's great to see just the paychecks coming each month with very little management. What would you say the biggest change in your lifestyle so far from doing these types of uh, deals? Uh, I just tra I can travel like this year alone. I'm going to be probably flying on 28 to 30 different planes this year. I mean, do your best Braveheart right now. <laughs> What right. do you mean, do my best braver? Freedom! <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> right? <laughs> I forgot you're a millennial. You've not probably watched Braveheart, but you I, should. I saw it a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I really love this, this space, and I try to get other people into it. Again, like I said, because this is such a fragmented market. There's a lot of opportunity to get one or two or three storage facilities on your belt. And the craziest part too, is most of these mom and pop owners, when they built these things in the mid to late eighties, they built them for next to nothing. And now they're looking at potentially a huge depreciation recapture and capital gains tax. So let's get creative. Why don't they want to work with you? Don't they? Yeah. Why don't we do an installment sale? I'll pay you out over 10 years or five years, whatever they're comfortable with. And now your average wholesaler flipper that maybe only has 50, 100 grand in their pocket, guess what? Now you can get into a $2 million facility. You don't even have to mess with banks, right? Beautiful. I mean, it just keeps adding up, dude. <laughs> Listen, uh, thanks for your time, man. We're, we're getting ready yeah. to run uh, to my stop point. But, dude, uh, you've just opened up probably a lot of eyes, right? I'm smiling because I'm like, yeah. I actually wrote it down. I'm like, man... I need to get more involved in this asset class because I, I truly believe in it, right? I yeah. Mean, and I see you, uh, storage is going – and what's great about those self-storage units is they can be in weird spots. Like sometimes I look at some of these lots, I'm like, what would be – what would work here, right? And it's right. like it's, it's self-storage. And like self-storage almost works everywhere. Yeah, I mean, we, we've looked at everything. One of the things that we're starting to do now is adaptive reuse uh, projects. So we'll where those, you know, Kmart are going out of business in the circuit cities. Guess what? I'm going to buy that for pennies on the dollar and then build one or two levels inside. So it's already an erected, erected structure. It already has climate control in there. I just have to build a mezzanine level in there and just bring in some corrugated steel walls um, and, and I-beams just to turn it into a self-storage facility. It's awesome. Wow, that's cool. Listen, yeah. Fernando, how does people get a hold of you? How, where do they yeah. find you at? Yeah, so uh, my partner hates when I do this, but I, I usually just give out my cell phone number so people can reach me directly. 
So here it is. It's 630-408-8090. Truly, that is my phone number. If you call or text me, I will get back to you immediately. Um, other places you can find us is go to our website, titanwealthgroup.com, or find us on any type of social media just by typing in Titan Wealth Group, and you'll see our, our, our little logo there. You can reach out that way as well. All right, so before I go, uh, two biggest, uh, if you were to give any advice, your two biggest tips, um, yeah. give, me, give me your two biggest uh, gifts that you can give my audience. Yeah, number one, I think we've already hit this one on the head pretty hard, but partner. Don't try to do it yourself. It's not worth it. There's always people out there with more money, more experience. Better to spread the leverage, right? Spread the risk. Um, second thing is get a morning routine in. Um, I started really becoming productive once I started waking up between 3 and 5.30, 6.30 a.m. You want to get, that's your, your best hours of the day. And you don't want that interrupted by as soon as, you know, as soon as 8, 8.30 rolls around, my phone is just blowing up and I can't get anything done. And there's studies that show that once you're in interrupted, it usually takes you 35 to 45 minutes to get back into that flow state to really be focused and, and, and kind of cruising along. So I would say get a really good morning routine. There's an awesome book called The Miracle Morning. So I wake up usually between 5.30, 6.30 a.m., I meditate, and then I read. I think reading is super important. It's how you stay ahead of everybody else. Amen to that, brother. Love it. Love the advice. Guys, if you're out there listening, this is a great episode. This is really about taking wealth to the next level, creating massive cash flow, doing it in an asset class that everybody uses and you can make money on it. Um, guys, if you want to be successful, first you got to believe it, then you can achieve it and your paradise will be possible. Thanks and have a wonderful day.